0: You're listening to Code Punk with Bill Ahern and Michael Zuhl, a podcast about the intersection between programming, technology, and the digital lifestyle.
1: Hello, Michael. How you doing, man?
0: Doing good. And I, I got to call you out on something. I think it was back in the episode where we talked about Steve Jackson games and um, The Secret Service, raid, And you mentioned MOD, because we were actually talking about the song by Poe called Hello, in which she brings up MOD. And if I remember correctly, I think you said that the MOD was Mothers of Destruction. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. I'm, not, I, I I'm did.
0: not exactly sure. No, I'm, where...
1: <laughs> I'm glad you called me out on this. Although I do, yeah. So, yes, I did. I think it was Mothers of Deception, I think is, uh, or Mothers <laughs> of Destruction, maybe, maybe. It was one, because they had... They originally, well, I, we're going to get into it, but yes, I did call them Mothers of Destruction.
0: Yeah, to, to your credit, MOD was kind of a, a joke name and it was meant to stand for many things. Um, but, um, and I think, I mean, obviously the one that stuck was Masters of Deception. And I think you said, you said Mothers of Destruction. And then later you were like, ah, it's Deception. <laughs> but yeah. the mother's part stayed. So I was like, yeah, that works.
1: <laughs> yeah, I blame them. So we talked
0: of we talked about Kevin Mitnick in the last episode, um, and kind of what he meant during that era. And we had again, we had especially in the Steve Jackson Games one, we went off on this tangent about hacking uh, and the you know, MOD and LOD to Legion of Doom. Um and we talked a little bit about MOD there, and I wanted to get into it a little more because you had mentioned a book um, called Masters of Deception, and you had mentioned it was a really good book. I went and got that book, and I read it. Well, I, I listened to it on audiobook because I have a long drive, um, and so I wanted to follow up on kind of that episode and go a little more in depth um, with MOD uh, because you know a lot about you know them and their situation, and it is clearly a good. Look at the time and early hacking. I think it parallels well with what we talked about in the last episode. Um, so I wanted to get into that a little bit, and uh, let's take everybody for a ride, shall we?
1: Sounds like fun. Back to the '90s and late '80s.
0: <laughs> yeah, was it the '90s or the or the '80s when they we kind of started? forming because initially i mean what was it? it it was uh is it scorpion scorpion and uh fiber what was op- the other? well not fiber optic so, yet, right? Acid right, freak, not yet, right acid freak
1: yeah, right acid freak right
0: so they actually had gotten started uh, hacking phone companies, as all early hackers did. Um, so hacking the phone companies and getting into computers through the modems. And at some point, at least according to um, the the book that you had me listen to, um, they reached a box that he didn't understand, and that was when Scorpion was introduced to fiber optic. Correct? Yeah. And these were New York based hackers, right? Because a lot of times we talk about, you know, we talk about MOD, we talk about hacking, we talk about the East Coast hackers or MOD, and then kind of the Texas hackers, um, Legion of Doom. And I don't know whether it was because, uh, I don't know whether LOD was stationed around Texas. Um, to begin with. Of course, LOD Legion of Doom actually does come from Super Friends, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. I'm a huge comic geek, and I actually have Super Friends on DVD. Right now, I even have the Aquaman one, which is just kind of nuts to have that. Um, but the fact that they named themselves after Legion of Doom, I thought was great. Um, yeah. Not from... Not from the road warriors in wrestling, but from super
1: friends. Right. So makes a lot more sense,
0: but at the time of MOD kind of coming to their own in New York, that was when LOD was kind of settling into kind of this Texas area and there were different people in charge of the group back then. And fiber optic was actually a member of LOD at the time, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, and then, um, LOD was around for a while and then, you know, I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead of where you want to go. But yeah, so Masters of Deception came after um, Legion of Doom and uh, partially established specifically to kind of troll Legion of Doom.
0: Right. Well, to, to at least prank them, um, at least some of their early leadership. And in the last episode, you talked about kind of the party lines. And, and um, so the the term for that, I think, is the, the loop around test lines, correct?
1: Right. That's it. That was the name of it. Yep. Right.
0: So, see, we did our research between episodes. So you had the loop around test lines and that is actually what started to get a lot of early hackers collaborating at least um, between that and between the message boards because because now we're kind of talking about the time where these groups were getting together and actually using the early BBS systems, using their own computers to host BBS systems to order to invite people in. Um, and early hackers would do things like try to hack that other person's computer or to deface their boards or to bring them, you know, kind of offline. Um, So there was a lot of kind of, and it was almost like kind of testing your mettle against some of the other hackers, I guess, um, to see if you could get into their systems or not. And uh, some of these guys actually, I mean, a lot of them met in person. So like Scorpion and Acid Freak knew each other in person. They eventually um, got a couple of other guys that they met in person and then um, Fiber Optic. But a lot of the early people met, only online or on the BBS systems, and then they started to meet each other in person. And uh, that was kind of it was, you know, you work in early New Jersey uh, based. I don't know whether there was in any other areas where MOD was stationed. Do you remember?
1: No, I think it's just my memory of it um, and anything I've kind of ever read or come across was basically they were very uh, centrally New York. And I also want to kind of back up a little bit and kind of point something out. You're talking about how, you know, different hackers would kind of take it as a point of pride to get into somebody else's BBS. Um, I remember that it was sort of like a real badge of honor to have an admin uh, give you access to a BBS because I know that there was one around here um, that you know I kind of had to wait to get on and to get in was a big deal and then if somebody who was like kind of a celebrity and say in the case maybe fiber optic if fiber optic was going to be on a bbs it would kind of start a buzz that i remember reading there was nobody ever famous enough in south jersey to get people excited to go on a bbs but my point is that if you did get access to somebody's bbs um especially a good one that had like lots of good files or if you could you know kind of download really useful information you know some were just better than others of course um You know, it was almost like a badge of honor, like oh, you know, you're kind of part of this in group. So if somebody kind of bypassed the authority of the sysadmin, right? um, That was sort of a big knock. And although probably in some cases somebody might respect the skills it took to get there, admins didn't play around with that stuff. They did not like that. They would get very angry. Um, And I know this because I had kind of more of as a joke installed um, back Orifice, which was a Windows (laughs) exploit um, client. That was not even that great because you could see you could see it in the services running right. It it didn't mask itself very well, but you could do stupid stuff like you could open and close the CD tray, Um, then you you know, and all your standard stuff. You know, keystroke loggers. You could explore the file system, and I had done it as a joke on a system, and. They, I, I, my access was revoked permanently (laughs) and I said it was a joke, but I guess, you know, maybe it just sounded to them like, you know, I got caught, so I'm making excuses, but, um, no. So yeah, if you, if, if, um, if there was like a hacker war or something going on or people were just trying to like, you know, lob little sort of like grenades at each other's systems, uh, BBSs or otherwise to try and get access, access was a premium, you know, back then that was a big deal. So, um, it might be a testament to a hacker's skills, but the way I remember it, if you got in someone's system, you weren't respected. You were kind of like persona non grata.
0: So, uh, So, of course, you mentioned back Orifice. That was actually a cult of the dead cow. um program I believe yeah, it was um, which is which is one of the groups actually we didn't probably not cover in the season even though I did finish the book and I do highly recommend that book um, as well as you know the master's the deception book that I'm talking about called the dead cow book will actually be kind of um, Throwing a bunch of names at you early on in the beginning, but as it gets to the middle and, and kind of towards the end, it gets extremely interesting. So now Legion of Doom, and of course, um, I forgot to mention that the leader um, at the time of its formation name was, of course, Lex Luthor, um, which you know, totally makes sense. They were right. early 80s and kind of yeah, Masters of Deception didn't, didn't really start to, to form until... Um, until kind of the, the late 80s. So they were early 80s. Legion of Doom was early 80s. This was kind of in the late 80s that the MOD formed. And of course, MOD, the whole reason for the name was kind of as mockery to the Legion of Doom. Um, and Fiber Optic, of course, at the time was member of Legion of Doom. And then there was some question over whether he quit or whether he was kicked out. And there was a, a little bit of a rivalry between he and I believe the other person, um, Chris Goggins, um, who was... Uh, kind of seen as the leader of lod at that time um and so masters of deception they kind of did take on i mean this is the type of hacker group that i would have to imagine if you were the writers of the movie Hackers, and we've brought this up in several episodes now, if you have not watched Hackers, it is, <laughs> it is a great, horrible movie to watch. It is it is totally um, inaccurate as far as the lifestyle, but it, is, it picks up just enough pieces of, of uh, real hacker culture and of kind of uh, some of the things that if we were to draw caricatures of ourselves, they, they come out <laughs> very nicely on the big screen. Um, but it, You see a lot of, especially in in the book Master's Deception, you see a lot of kind of that um, immaturity in the group um, that you didn't see in in, didn't necessarily see in other hacker groups. Cult of Dead Cow had some immaturity in the way that they displayed or promoted themselves, but it was very much um, uh, coordinated and planned out behind the scenes, whereas Master's of Deception was kind of like, you know, let's see what we can do uh, type of deal.
1: Right. And, you know, because remember there and if I if I remember correctly, you know, there was a lot. I mean, even the FBI was kind of as they started to track these guys down um, and a lot of I think a lot of some of the eavesdropping done by the government uh, through Operation Sun Devil. Is that right? Operation Sun Devil. When they were really trying to. sort of corral and understand, right? Like we'd mentioned last episode to try and a first understand what was this new technological threat and is it a threat? And, you know, how do we assess it? Um, They were really noticing a lot of antagonism by um, MOD against LOD who were really more just they I did. Uh, they didn't seem to be all that interested in a in a war of of sorts, and I'm calling it a war. It's not really a war. Again, like I said, it's just MOD being antagonists um, because these are all these are all pre college age kids, really. These are just children, right? Basically, high school guys um, just messing around on computers and figuring things out.
0: Yeah, and I mean we're going to get into a little bit of the the so called Great Hacker War. Um, But one of the things that I actually wanted to draw attention to was that um, we always have this perception, especially of the early hackers, that they, they, again, they were these great computer experts that logged in and out of systems unnoticed. Um, But if you go by what was actually in the Masters of Deception book, the phone company was aware of these guys and really kind of knew where they were, where they lived. And in many cases installed boxes to trace kind of where they were going when they were going, hacking into these computers pretty early on. um, What was it? Maybe only like a couple of year period that they were that active, um, you know, prior to them having a a few run-ins with the law. And I was kind of surprised that um, they were that quickly, kind of um discovered and, and and tracked by by first the phone company it took a while for the phone company or at least it took a while for the for um the law enforcement to actually take the phone company seriously and start looking into it and at the time like the phone company was basically begging them you know come get these guys and they're kind of like eh, well whatever we'll see what happens um did you get that impression
1: yeah yeah i definitely got the impression um There was, yeah, there was certainly a heightened awareness of it because, you know, obviously you're talking about kind of really bizarre um, outlier activity that the phone company was aware of. And, you know, obviously it's in their best interest to understand, A, what's happening. They do have a little bit more of a technical understanding and why these kids are deciding to turn, you know, these phone systems into a playground um, made no sense, probably, I would imagine. So, yeah. And then I think, you know, there is this kind of like, all right, so if we're going to coordinate with the government, can you please like, can you do something? And the government's kind of, I, again, like I said, this is just kind of recalling some of the old stuff, um, partially just not long after it all happened was the government's kind of like, well, hold on, we got to figure out what we're doing and build a case. And, you know, we, you know, really it's, it's, uh, it's just another way of saying like, they didn't understand what was happening. The phone companies kind of did, but the government did not. Yeah,
0: and, and somebody who I really thought understood what was going on, and this is probably one of my favorite stories, and and this actually, you know, we, we, we disparaged um, John Markoff a little bit in the last episode because of uh, how he dealt with Kevin Mitnick, but I did mention that there were several books of Markoffs that I did enjoy. Markoff actually mentioned in uh, Machines of Loving Grace, he talked about an interaction between some of the members of Masters of Deception and the online um, forum, one of the original online forums, the uh, the well, and the well, of course, stood for um, Whole Earth Electronic Link. Of course, we got to put a little apostrophe in there for right. electronic. And the well was an online forum that was supposed to be representative of um, uh, Stewart Brand's uh, Whole Earth Catalog. And of course, the well stood for the whole Earth electronic link. You know, we got to add a little apostrophe in there at the beginning of electronic. I got to drop the, that a. <laughs> the uh, the because well, we need them. You know, we, we're saving all of our e's, kind of like with flicker and everything. Um, I don't know what we're using them for, but. So of course uh, the well came from uh, Stewart Brand, who originally had the whole Earth Earth catalog, and this was kind of like the early adventurers of the internet days. And you know Timothy Leary was involved in early cyberspace, and this this idea that computers were going to change you know everything. And one of the people who was actually on those early forums was John Perry Barlow, uh, part of the Grateful Dead. And there were some discussions of like internet culture and hacking. And uh, two of the guys, and I know fiber optic was one of them, actually got onto the board, and they were kind of laying out how they felt about hacking. Got into a little bit of an argument with uh, with John Perry Barlow, and basically, fiber optic went and got you know hacked and got barlow's i believe his credit score i want to say and posted it right there and it was incredibly eye opening to john perry barlow what these people were capable of with computers but what was interesting was that instead of an immediate reaction towards computers are evil hacking is evil um Barlow actually saw the the freedom and the expression and everything that computers allowed, and he ended up being one of the main founders of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Right, and and so even though we have kind of this childish behavior of MOD, MOD, and some of their interactions with these people on this online forum actually allowed them to create one of the you know probably one of the more prominent. Um, You know, nonprofits today, when it comes to ensuring internet freedom and security, uh, which I thought was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, even now today, fiber optic is, uh, you know, an infosec specialist, you know what I mean? So obviously he's taken that expertise and grown up with it. Um, you know, I think one of the, one, one of the, uh, we, we mentioned it a lot and I'm sorry to have to do it, but it, it is, it does constantly have these inside references to real hacker culture, the movie hackers, uh, in there, there's a scene, um, and we've mentioned this before, but it is kind of relevant here, um, there was the hacker manifesto, and it was being written, uh, read from one two FBI agents doing a stakeout of one of the hacker characters in the movie, and the one the younger guy who who actually is later seen in the movie dancing at one of the hacker parties. So clearly he's sort of you know a FBI agent also sort of entrenched in hacker culture himself, but he's reading the hacker manifesto written by. Um, the mentor and the mentor was a member of, um, Legion of doom. I just wanted to kind of throw that little nugget of, uh, information out there to kind of tie that back. Since we mentioned, um, we've mentioned that before we talk about the movie a lot. Um, but actually, yeah. So that's the Genesis of all that came from, uh, Legion of doom.
0: Yeah. And, um, so when we talk about Legion of doom, when we talk about, you know, masters of deception, of course, there's this great hacker war now, We've actually heard. I've I've heard different things. I've read different stories. Um, of course, in in Masters of Deception, um, mm-hmm. there is this period of time when both groups. And it's, I wouldn't. I don't even say both groups. I will say certain key members of Masters of Deception were targeting um, Chris Goggins. And um, some of the people in Legion of Doom, specifically Goggins at the time, or, or at least shortly after the initial hacking began, was attempting to form his own security company because uh, he felt it was, he wanted to go legit and felt it was a good way to, to make uh, money. And of course, and I forget how all of it happened. I remember reading that. They were, they were on some of the same phone lines together or whatever, and I think Corrupt was on there, uh, John Lee, who was one of the Masters of Deception, and uh, one of them, of course, uh, used the N-word, um, and he caught wind of that, so it, came, it became as a, like an affront to him personally, and the Masters of Deception kind of had his back in that, and that's what began some of this back and forth hacking between the two, and... Um, I'm trying to think of, of some of the things that happened, but I do know that there was there was uh, one point where um, the master deception had actually hacked and tapped the phone lines of Goggin's um, security firm and said we're sitting there and they were listening in on all of the conversations that he was having with potential clients um, until they finally revealed themselves by calling in on another line. Um, so So, by and large, I think that by hacking Goggin's company and by hacking a security firm, it scared off a lot of his customers. So uh, <laughs> there were there were some pretty good stories that that came out of that. But even to this day, there's some people that say that that hacker war never actually happened. I don't know if you have an opinion on this.
1: Uh, not so much that. Um it, I, I I definitely know that there are documentations like the FBI it happened like they were the the FBI even um, I'm trying to remember which book now right because when you read them um, and you you've read them more more freshly than I have um but I do recall that there were um they, they were being tracked. Like the hacker war was definitely a reference and the government was aware of it. So uh, I also think that probably people who were involved in it probably didn't see it as as big of a deal. That's why I said earlier, like to call it a war may be perhaps um, giving it. Uh, a lot more weight than it really did again because they're just it just gave them something to focus on to do this funny stuff I mean some right. of it's not funny when you when you talk about you know in, insulting and using epithets and stuff so some people probably were really angry but I mean for the most part again even even MOD itself was just kind of a lark on LOD so the whole thing was really just kind of a bunch of people with computers messing around with each other that was always my takeaway um, and never that was there any kind of like malice and well some some people I think took it a little too far but um, in terms of an overall war uh, that's probably too strong of a term it was probably just groups of people you know even in fiber optics cases bouncing back and forth there was a lot of like um, or at least some rotation, you know, you had members that were members, you have people that were members of you know, at one point LOD and then MOD, you have people that were members of Colt of the Dead Cow and then LOD. So, it, you know, a lot of people just kind of jumping back and forth, kind of having fun. So war, I would say probably isn't the right term to use. And they might say like, ah, I was there was no such thing as a war because, you know, they didn't see it like that. But there was definitely some um, some antagonism going on.
0: And and out of that antagonism, there was a couple of key people who did take it personally. Um, and and so that brought about kind of some of the animosity that has probably amplified the public perception of what actually went on at that time.
1: Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. Right. Um, and, and you know, it reminds me of um, now this is an LOD specific, but um, it was uh, New York and there's probably some lingering um, groups. Now, this was probably late 90s. I'm thinking 98, 99. Um, Tabitha Soren, if I, if I, if I remember correctly, um, when I'd gone up for hack, um, uh, hackers on planet earth, um, I'd met some New York guys at the, convention. And it's funny because not long after that, I remember seeing them, MTV was getting in on the action and they were doing an expose on this hacking thing, right? I'm doing air quotes, right? Um, and so the guy, I think his handle was Irish. Um, him and a couple other people that I remember meeting, but I spoke specifically with Irish. But so Tabitha Soren went and followed them around one night. Now this is MTV and you can probably find this on YouTube, but they're doing like an expose on hackers in New York City. And they, they're, I, what I remember is there's elaborate production, right? And they're like, I think they, Got into her email. They did some like low-level, like not impressive stuff, like got access to her email. Um, but they made this big thing like something was going down, like a big hacker war. And I remember Tabitha Sorin being all like, ooh, like kind of excited, or like I don't know if she was feigning being scared, like to sell it. But that's kind of the thing, right? I I said before that these were very young men messing around with technology, enjoying the the sense of power that it gave them. They certainly felt empowered. Um, So when we call these things wars, a lot of time, you know, some things might be embellished or exaggerated and the public persona or the public perception picks that up. And then there are cases like this one where they know they're going to be on TV, so they just make up some dramatic stuff. Nothing happened, by the way. So the point was that MTV thing, they made it sound like something was going down. There was nothing, right? So when I say something was going down, it's it's vague for a reason. They had just made it sound like, you know, they were these high roll and hackers and trying to create this image of the underworld. And there was no such thing. It was like, it was very funny. And this time period, um, especially as we started to get towards the new century, but, you know, um, a lot of the stuff, as soon as the public started to take an interest, I think, you know, the the sense of like, theater maybe kicked in for a lot of these young guys and wanted to make it seem like not only make it seem like it because it was kind of fun to throw, you know, to kind of rib the public, but also maybe it allowed them to believe that they were involved in some, something big, something special because it did feel big and mysterious technology and especially hacking in the nineties, especially the late nineties felt like the world was changing and it was, it really was. And they had a sense of it. They just didn't know how, and they also didn't know it'd be on cell phones, but, um, you know, what I mean? but, you know, they thought they were part of a revolution and maybe some of them had egos big enough to believe that they were going to be the ushers of this big revolution. So they were, yeah, they were kind of playing to the crowd, so to speak.
0: That's actually that's actually a great way to end this episode, but I want to bring it back um, to MOD real quick just so that we can wrap up um, some of those loose ends. I did mention that this was a late 80s hacking group and by the 90s they had all been arrested for something uh, and and actually um, charged with some of it and then a year later they brought up on additional charges and then it was in i think 1992 or 1993 um, that uh, most of them had pled out and served some time Uh, fiber optic uh, actually mark a bean he held out the longest and much like with um Much like with Kevin Mitnick, in fact, I believe a Bean was arrested first. Um, there, you know, an example was made out of him um, as far as what they were going to try to charge him with, and then he pled guilty. He ended up serving, I think a year in prison, um, three years probation, he had some community service. Uh, and what's interesting to note we did last episode on Kevin Mitnick, well, um, Mark A Bean, um, when we talked about, Freedom Downtime, Manuel Goldstein, twenty six hundred. That documentary actually opens up with them dropping A. Bean off um, at the uh, at the at prison in Schuylkill, Pennsylvania, um, and then it goes on to be a story about Kevin Mitnick. So there is some uh, interrelationship between these two. They might have been kind of the most high profile arrests at those times, as law enforcement was attempting to understand what this thing called hacking actually is. But M.O.D. ended up being a relatively short-lived group. I mean, I guess you'd say, I mean, considering how fast technology moves, um, I guess they've been around for a long time because they moved pretty fast too. Um, but they had this shining moment under you know fiber optic where where they caught a lot of headlines and they, they did a lot of hacking. And of course, there was a lot of that internal strife um, before ultimately you know the law came down on them. And I think much like with Kevin Mitnick, I think that um, Mark A. Bean is actually a security consultant now. So, of course, if you were a hacker back then, like I said in the last episode, you got yourself a job when you got out of prison. Um, and it probably pay, pays pretty well. Yeah. Do you have any, any last words before we wrap this up?
1: No, sir, I don't.
0: All right. Well, until the next episode, talk to everyone later.
1: Take care, everybody.
0: That's it for this episode of Code Punk. You can subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher, or listen to it on the web at codepunk.io. You can find Bill on Twitter at Norathustra and Michael on Twitter at Zool.